So Luke chapter 18, last week, we studied the end of chapter 17, where we focused on the kingdom of God, right? And again, one of the key things that we, we discussed was that the kingdom of God, the only way to get into the kingdom of God was to be born again. Jesus was very adamant about this in John chapter 3, when he speaks to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus is like, what does it mean to be born again? Do I have to go back into my mother's womb and be born again in that literal sense? And no, Jesus was speaking in a, in a spiritual sense, right? Because he tells us that we as people, as literal human beings, the Bible is clear that because of sin, we are dead, right? The wages of sin is death. And death brings a separation as well. So one, we are separated. Two, we are dead because of our sin. And Jesus came to bring us back to him, right? Because the only thing that, that causes that wedge, that causes that gap because God is a holy God, is where we have missed the mark and we have sinned against the holy God. And so, to be a part of that, to bring us back to God, to be in his presence, means we must put our faith in him, which is how we receive salvation, which is how we receive redemption, is how we are made as white as snow, right? As he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, God says, if, if you confess your sins, what is he faithful and just to do? to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, and to forgive us, right? And so it's a beautiful thing. That was the one requirement to get into the kingdom of God. And then we found out, well, where is the kingdom of God? When is the kingdom of God? And we find out that the kingdom of God is where the king is, right? That's what makes a kingdom a kingdom, is the king. And so we ultimately find out that everyone serves some type of king in their life, but there's only one true and royal king, and that's Jesus Christ, and he's like, the kingdom's here, right? John the Baptist was saying the same thing as he was telling people to repent. He said, repent for the kingdom of what? Of heaven, the kingdom of God is at hand. It's here. He's here. The kingdom is here. But remember, they were always looking for a literal kingdom, an, an overthrowing of the, of the current government, of a, of a freedom of that government, and that there would be an actual literal kingdom set up. And Jesus says, you... You can't see it, but there will be a time when we see it, when it will be established. So the kingdom has started. It's here and now, but there is a time where it will be complete and it will be finished, and there will be a literal kingdom on earth as Jesus comes back the second time. And we're encouraged with that. We're hopeful for that, right? Because if you're a part of that kingdom, you want him to come back. And so as we're going to see today, as we read uh, verses 1 through 8 in chapter 18, Jesus kind of piggybacks off this notion that he's coming back at some point. Because remember, when he came the first time, he didn't come as a king. He came as a servant, right? A suffering servant, as a lamb led to the slaughter, right? He was the, that sacrificial lamb. That is exactly what my tattoo is, right? Here's a lamb. You're probably like, that's not a lamb. Well, the guy tried, okay? Here's a lamb, right? But he's also got a crown because he's also king, right? So Jesus comes as this sacrificial lamb right, on our behalf. He, come, he comes as a suffering servant. He, he didn't come to uh, be served, but to serve, right? And he laid down his life on our behalf. But we find out as we read through scripture that Jesus says, I am coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back on a little, you know, cute little donkey, right? He's not coming back, uh, you know, as, as a suffering servant. He's coming back as what? A king, a conquering king, and he will, he will have all authority. He already has all authority, 
but he will come back with all authority, right? And he will establish his kingdom here on earth. It's a beautiful and amazing thing. But again, he, he must be your king. And for him to be your king, you have to recognize him as the Lamb of God, the one who was slain for your sins. And so as, as piggybacks off this, he says at the end of verse 8, he says, when the Son of Man comes, because he's coming, remember, he's going to be coming as a conquering king, the question is that Jesus asks, is will he find faith on earth? Right? Will he find faith on earth? And those who are a part of his kingdom have faith. And it's the right kind of faith. It's a faith in the king. Correct? Because in a sense, we all have faith, but when the Bible talks about faith, it's always a faith that is about saving faith. It's about a faith that's directed and put and placed upon Jesus Christ. So in verse 1, we're going to hear a parable here from Jesus as he shares and encourages us that as we, we go through our life, that we should not lose heart. And when he comes back, he should find us being faithful. And we're going to see what it means to have great faith, what it means to be faithful. Because I think, and I shared this before, that we have a misconception of what a great faith is and what it looks like, right? We think it often has to do with crazy, miraculous healings, right? If you're not healing people, if you're not doing these crazy, you know, walking on water and doing this and that, well, then you don't have like this, you don't have faith, and you don't have this crazy faith, right? And what Jesus, what we come to find out as he encourages us through scriptures, and we've been studying this diligently, guys. If you remember, when we started chapter 17, one of the signs of, of faith was what? Somewhat works. Yeah, he talks about duty, right? It's just doing your duty, doing what you've been called to do as a servant of the king. Do it. There was another thing. Forgiveness, right? Forgiveness. And we're in the culture and in, in, in life right now when it comes to church that we think faith is all about these crazy grand expressions. And I don't want to knock them because I don't know what people are doing and what they're thinking and their reasoning behind things. But just if we look at scripture, we can see how Jesus wants us to, to show our faith, how it's revealed and one of the things is forgiveness. Remember he says, offenses are going to come to you. And what should you do? Well, rebuke them, right? And when they rebuke, they, they repent. And when they repent, he says, you must forgive. And he says, you must do it seven times 70. And that's when the disciples in, in chapter 17, verse 5, they said, increase our faith. Because it's hard to forgive people. We've all been wronged, right? Something bad has happened to us, but God calls us to forgive. And when you forgive, you are exemplifying that faith that Jesus has given you, right? It's not a matter of you going out and jumping off a five-story building and trusting that God, you know, will protect you. No, it's, it's something as simple as forgiving someone. And I want to say it's simple. It's hard. It's hard. But it's possible through faith in Jesus. And then as we're going to see today, that another sign of faith is prayer. He says this in verse 1. He says, then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. And that, that's, a, that's a bad judge. 
Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him saying, Get justice for me for my, from my adversary. And the judge would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her. Less, by, less means to avoid the risk, so to avoid the risk, by her continual coming, she weary me. Then the Lord, Jesus, says this, Hear what the unjust said, the unjust judge said. Jesus says, look at that. That's, there's, that's important in this parable, what the judge says here. And he goes on to say, and, and shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? So Jesus starts off by sharing a parable. Jesus often taught using parables, which I love because sometimes we're simple-minded and we need analogies, we need pictures, we need similes. And he uses parables uh, using common descriptions, everyday life things that, that they could relate to. Now, for us, it's a little different because we're not living 2,000 years ago. Most of us aren't farmers, right? Most of us don't know what a mustard seed looks like. Most of us don't know some of these things, but we can learn, right? And that's why we study and we pick up what happened in those times, and we get a common understanding of what Jesus was sharing with us. And so as he shares these descriptions and these stories, he's basically giving us these, these earthly like descriptions but there's always a, a heavenly or biblical truth behind it, right? And, and parables were always twofold. For those who were looking for truth, they would find the truth. They would hear and understand as they, they hear this common story that it was more than just about being morally good, but that there was a biblical heavenly truth tied to it, and they wanted to know more about it. But for those who weren't looking for the truth, it was concealed to them. They didn't know. They had no idea that there was a biblical truth to it. And so Jesus uses parables in that sense because those who are blind won't see anything, but those who, who have the light in them will recognize the truth that Jesus is, is sharing here. And so we're going to see this morning, as Jesus shares this parable, he kind of, and only really this parable, kind of shares the real purpose behind this. He says in verse 1, I'm sharing this parable. He spoke this parable, and Luke tells us, why? That men always ought to pray and not lose heart. Men always ought to pray and not lose heart. And I want to encourage you this morning, because as I was studying this, I'm like, I've got to know my audience. I've got to know who I'm speaking to, because I would probably teach this differently to the adults. I want to encourage you, and I want to ask you, did you pray this week? You don't have to tell me. You don't have to shake your head. You know, I want you to just internally think about this because this is always going to be a challenge. And don't think about other people. Well, did my mom pray? Did my brother pray? Well, if they didn't, don't, who cares about them? Okay. In this sense, who cares about them? Did you pray this week? And if not, when's the last time you prayed? When's the last time you prayed? Because Jesus says this at the end of the verse. He says, will I find faith when I come back? Essentially, will I find people praying when I come back? Because a show of your faith is prayer. A show of your faith is prayer. But where does faith come from? 
Where does faith come from, guys? Trust. That's a, that's a definition, I would say. That's, that's good. Faith is trust, right? Like when you believe someone or you put your faith in someone, you're, you're ultimately trusting them. So let me piggyback off that. How do you trust someone? How do you get to the point where you trust someone? Thank you. You get to know them, right? Ultimately, I mean, at, at the gist of it all, is that you get to know someone. Like here, in this sense, when it comes to putting your trust in Jesus Christ, your parents can't make you do it. Your pastor can't make you do it. Nobody can make you do it. I can't force you to trust someone. And here's this too. You can't trust someone you don't know. You really can't. So for most of us, well, I want to say most of us, for some of us, God is a stranger. We don't know him. And so because we don't know him, consequentially, we don't pray to him. Right? So we must build this faith. We must have this faith. We must have this understanding of who God is so that we can trust in him. So I want to encourage you that when's the last time you read your Bible? And not just, you know, somebody teach it to you. Because how else, as he said, you have to get to know someone. How else are you going to know who God is unless you read your Bible? I mean, that is how he is. He could have chosen any way to reveal himself to us, right? Now, for us, we would pick different ways. We'd be like, God, I wish you made it into a movie, or I wish you were actually here physically present with us, you know, like you were 2,000 years ago. Well, we saw how that turned out, right? Many people reject him anyways. But we have the complete revelation of who God is right here. He, he says in his word that there's nothing in here that we need further. We don't, shouldn't take anything away from it, and we shouldn't add anything to it. It is perfect in its fullness to know who God is. Right? And here's, dude, guys, <laughs> this is God we're talking about. This is God. You must know him to trust him. And the only way that the Bible tells us to know him, the only way that we, we get this faith is faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So faith comes from the word of God. Don't neglect it. And again, you, I don't know your situations. I don't know your parents' lives. I don't know this or that. But you have the wonderful opportunity to get to know who God is. And I think we lack prayer because we ultimately don't know who he is. Because once you realize who God is, goodness, you would be talking to him every day. Do you not realize? And again, as we're going to see the character and the nature of God in this study, is that we find this out because we read his word. We find out that he is a righteous judge, a righteous God. We find out that he is a loving and caring God. But I wouldn't know that unless I read the word. And now that I know that, I can have this confidence when I come to him in prayer. I hope this makes sense. I mean, it's, it's very simple. You must know God, and to know him is through the word. And as you know him, you put your trust and your faith in him. And a part of your faith is present in you praying and talking and conversing with him. So what is prayer? I've got a couple points for you guys. This is not an exhaustive list. Add to it if you want, if it's in scripture. Um, turn with me really quick to Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to make this pretty brief. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. 
So go over two books to your left. So what is prayer? Chapter 6, verse 5. Keep turning there, I'll just start. When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the streets, that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you that they have their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room. When you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So if you want to take this literally, by all means, go ahead and do that. I'm sure you've seen that in the movie War Room, where she has this closet, and she goes in and prays. It's her prayer closet. I don't think Jesus is being super literal in this sense. I think he's giving us a picture of what prayer is. That when we pray, okay, it's literally just talking, whether that's out loud verbally or in your mind, but it's to whom? God, right? And we often mistake that. And we often mistake that when we're praying in group settings, right? Because sometimes we like to share the gospel with someone as we're praying. Sometimes we like to say something and get a point across to someone as they're listening as we're praying, and we fail to remember that we're not, we're not talking to them. We're talking to God, right? So that's the, the first point here, is that when we pray, we talk to God. And don't overcomplicate it, guys. All of you can talk. For the most part, I've heard all of you talk, right? I know you have the ability, at least in your mind, to talk, right? God, God knows. God can hear. So just talk. Ver, uh, number two, the second point is that God cares more about your heart than your words, okay? And I think there's a common misconception here, not just amongst young people, but people in general, that we have to have these fancy prayers, right? That they have to be eloquent, that they have to have these big fancy words, and, and God, God doesn't care. God's not impressed by us. <laughs> He's not, okay? You cannot impress him. You might impress other people, but who cares about that anyways, right? We just learned that as we read this previous verse. Don't do it so other people hear you and think you're some great spiritual person. If that's how you pray, great, by all means. But just come to him. Do you rehearse what you say when you go to your dad and ask him for something? Like <laughs> You might, actually. You're like, how do I play this out, right? Do you rehearse what you say, right? I mean, okay, like back when you were like five, would you? No. No, because you, you, you trust him. You have this connection. And you would just simply go, whether, and, and the words would just come out how they come out. They didn't have to be eloquent, right? I think of my, my, my little kids when they come to me, like I just hear them. My answer is not dependent on how good the, you know, their talking is to me, right? I, I will answer them. Why? Because I love them. Jesus will hear you and answer you. Why? Because he loves you. There's nothing you can do to like change that. So just go to him. Speak to him. Right? He said, and if continuing in this, cha- in this chapter, Matthew 6, verse 7, when you pray, don't use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Your prayers don't need to be an hour long. They don't need to be repetitive. Right? Like, when we talk to each other, we say what we need to say and we're good. So your heart is more important than your words. James chapter 5, verse 16, 18. Don't, don't turn there because we're out of time. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. 
And James gives us an example of that. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He was similar to us. Yes, he was a prophet, but he was a man just like you and I. And he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. So James gives us an example of just this great man of prayer. But if you look at his prayers, they're not long. They're not spectacular. They're just normal prayers. But Elijah prayed with faith, right? He came, he came to a good God, a good father, right? He came with the right heart. It's so simple. Don't overcomplicate prayer. Second thing, third thing, sorry, third thing, is God's not so much looking for, again, information. He knows things. I think sometimes we forget that. We, let, we try to give God all the information. Now, if you do that, I think, okay, by all means, whatever. But look at this in verse 8 of Matthew 6. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask him. Now, that's not to say that we can't tell God things. But just know that we don't have to go into every single detail of every single thing. Just go to him with the right heart. Number four is that when we pray, it should be in God's will. Okay, And the only way to be in God's will is to start by reading his word. Right? How do I know what God wants unless the Spirit of God is in me, right? I'm born again, and I'm reading his word. Well, if, if I'm doing those two things, my prayer life will align with his will. I'm not going to be asking for these selfish things, right? The fifth thing is that we can come to him asking for what we need, right? And it's not wrong to ask for what we need. Right? He says in verse 11 of Matthew 6, Give us this day our what? Daily bread. Now, our first daily bread should be what? God himself. Right? He talks about that in John. Like, I am the bread of life. Come and eat me. Right? Like, that's what you should do. You guys, oh, now you're listening, right? He doesn't mean literally eat him. Right? But, like, be, be filled with the word of God. Right? Man should not live by bread alone, but what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. Guys, if you live by bread alone, you're dead. You are. You might be alive physically, but you're walking around dead spiritually. And God says, no, if you want to be alive physically, eat your bread, right? Drink your water, whatever. That's what he's getting at. But if you also want to be alive spiritually, right, you must live by every word of God. You must put your faith in the Word of God. You must know the Word of God. You must read the Word of God. Again, you've got to read your Bible. And so we can come to him with our needs because he's a good father. He gives us, he gives us our daily bread. He gives us what we need. And sometimes we lack what we need because, honestly, we don't ask. And James says that too. He says, you have not because you ask not, right? What's the worst that's going to happen? God says no. Well, you never had to begin with, so nothing changes. What's the best thing that's going to happen? He's going to say yes, right? And sometimes it takes time, and that's being a part of God's will, is his time. Because we like to pray, and then we think, God, where's my answer, right? It's been, it's been five seconds. I've waited long enough. Well, God's perfect. Remember this? And he knows all things, and he knows exactly what you need when you need it. The sixth thing about prayer is that we must confess, Right? He says this in verse 12, 
Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Do not lead us in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. All right, we must confess. We must confess our sins. All right, and this is one of those areas where, yes, God knows your sins, but there's something that happens when we ourselves actually confess. All right, I'm not saying like this crazy thing happens like in Catholicism, but I think there's a freeing thing when it comes to a confession of our sins. That like we yield it up to God that he can actually cleanse us from them. Because I think if we are, if we don't confess, again, he's a gentleman. He's not going to be prying in and, and going into your room and cleaning it up without your permission. No, we must confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Right? So he needs to forgive us. And remember, what separates us from God? Sin. Even if we're born again, we will not be separated from God for eternity. We, we don't lose our salvation, but we do lose that intimacy. Right? We lose that intimacy. Um, yeah, so sin cuts us off from communication with God. And number seven is adoration when it comes to prayer. You ever just prayed and just recognize God for who he is? Right? Like how amazing he is, the things that he's capable of, the things that he is. He says in verse 13, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And I think this adoration is where it kind of cultivates worship, right? Like the, the praise part of worship, where we adore God in our prayer time. And number eight, I think, is thankfulness. To be thankful, right? To thank God for things. Again, don't overcomplicate when it comes to prayer. You know, like, my five-year-old can do it. You can do it. And when I listen to my five-year-old, I just hear her heart. I don't hear the eloquence. God doesn't, is not looking for your eloquence. He's not looking for the exact proper words. He's looking for the right heart. But again, you may be not going to God in prayer because you don't know him. And I want you to know him. And the Bible, again, reveals himself. And so what we find out is that we don't have to, we can always pray and not lose heart because of this very parable that Jesus gives us. You remember Jesus says, look at the words of the unjust judge. What did the unjust judge say to this widow? Or she didn't say it to her, but he kind of said it in his mind. He says, though I don't fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest her continual coming she weary me. So, Jesus gives us this parable of this judge. A judge is, he or she should always be what? Like one quality, what should they always be? Just. <laughs> yeah, just, right? Fair. A judge should be just and fair, unbiased. I mean, I guess that's, that should be said. Yeah, that should be noticeable within a, a just judge. Now, can you be a just judge without the fear of God? Probably not, No maybe to like a slight extent, but no. So this judge doesn't fear God, nor respects who? Men, women, humans, right? That's, that's the point here in this parable. This judge doesn't fear God, nor respects men. I would not want to stand in front of that judge to judge rightly, to bring about a conviction, to help. Because one, he doesn't fear God, and two, he doesn't care about you, right? That's the picture of this judge, Okay, then there's this widow. Jesus says there's a widow. And in Jesus' time, a widow was one of the most helpless people, if not the most helpless person in that culture. 
right? Here's a woman who doesn't have a husband any longer. And so this woman who has an adversary, I don't know what the adversary or who or what the issue is, but she has something happening to her by another person. And the only place she can go to to get help is from an unjust judge who doesn't care about her. But this woman in this example here doesn't just go once from what we find out as the judge says and the verses say, there was a woman in that city, she came to him. And the the meaning here behind, behind the Greek and the came to him is that it was continuous. She constantly came to him. We don't see it within the story, but we see it in the end by the way the the judge reacts, that she constantly came to him. Hey, judge, I've got this issue. Help me out, right? Whatever she did, she came constantly to him. What did that do to the judge over time? Even though he did not respect God or fear him, nor respect man and care about them. What did it do to him? It annoyed him, sure. It wore him down, right? He got tired, He's like, let me just deal with this stinking issue so I can get her off my back, right? Her persistence, this is the picture that Jesus is giving us, her persistence in coming to the judge, literally what it says here is, um, yet in verse five, yet because the widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. It's a picture of a boxer, right? Like a boxer over time is is he's jabbing, throwing left hooks. Over time, you, you... your, your opponent becomes weary and tired, right? And he says, and, and, and troubles me. That's a picture of like a, a black eye, right? He's, he's like beating her up in a sense. And he's like, okay, I give in. Let me help you, right? And he helps her. And the Lord says in verse six, hear what the unjust judge said. So is, is the point of this parable that Jesus is giving to us is that as, as born-again believers, we go to God and, and we just nag him persistently until we get what we want? It's not. That's not the point of the story. Because remember, is, does, does, does our judge, does he fear God? Yes. Does he respect man? Yes. So our judge, our God, our Father is completely different than the picture of this judge. Completely different. And so when we come to Jesus, it's not a matter of wearing him down until we get what we want. No, it's a matter of him because he loves us. He puts up with us. He's patient with us. And he does that again because he loves us. He responds to us. He answers us. But again, it's not always in our timing. There's a big contrast here between Jesus and this unjust judge. So Jesus doesn't say that men always ought to pray and not lose heart because God is reluctant and you know, he doesn't want to answer until you, you nag him. But it's because he isn't reluctant. That's our encouragement to pray. That he's a good father, that he wants to help you. He wants to answer you. That's why we should consistently come to him. Because he is just, because he loves us. But again, why do we come to him? It's because we know him. We know what he's capable of. So as we know him, and we find out this morning that he's not just this grumpy, cranky judge that we've got to nag him for what we want. No, we find out through the revelation of the word of God that he's quite the opposite. 
that he loves us and he cares for us and he wants to answer us and he wants to give us our needs. And sometimes he wants to give us the desires of our heart. But we must be aligned with God. We must know who God is. In verse 8, Jesus says, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, the son of, uh, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith? Oh, sorry, verse 7. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Right? God bears with us day and night. Why doesn't he answer us when we want it? Because who knows better than you? God. Right? And so there's always a reason. And I think we can continually pray and not lose heart because we have this faith in God as we read through the word and we trust him and we know him that, okay, God, there's a reason why it's taking months, weeks, years, whatever it is. There's a reason. And we don't lose heart because we realize, again, he's not a cranky judge, but he's a patient one. He's patient and he bears with us day and night. And he wants to speedily, as we see in verse eight, avenge. God knows. God knows your troubles. He knows your heart. He knows your issues. And he will deal with them in his timing. But you must trust in him and not lose heart. In verse 8, we'll close here. Again, I tell you that, you will, that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find uh, faith on the earth? So again, Jesus here is trying to tell us he's not some cranky guy, but he cares and he pays attention, right? He cares and he pays attention. And when Jesus comes back, will he find people on earth who are trusting him enough that they're praying, right? Are we praying or are we losing heart? The only way to lose heart is to not be praying to not know who God is. Because again, the more you know who God is, you're like, man, this is good. He's good. He's the one that I gain my strength from. He's the one that I can go to. Isaiah puts it this way in chapter 40, verses 28 through 31. You guys know this verse, the end verse. Have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth? Isaiah just starts off with reminding you of who God is, right? Who you're approaching, you're not coming to your earthly father or your earthly mother. They're limited in what they can do. They're even limited in the love that they can give you. But God's not, right? God even gives us the example of that if you ask of, you know, your father or something, you know, is he going to give you a rock and a snake? No, right? Even, even a bad earthly father will give you good gifts. How much more will your, your heavenly father give you? Do, do we not understand the contrast between as Isaiah says, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, compared to someone we may know in our life. God's completely different. So he reminds us of who he is. He says he neither faints nor is he weary. Right? My kids, when they come to me, sometimes I don't want to hear them because I'm tired. When I go to God, he's not that way. He's not like, dude, I've been listening to eight other billion people. I don't want to hear your stuff right now. That's not God. Otherwise, he's not God right? His understanding is unsearchable. When my kids come to me, I'm limited in my knowledge and what I can do and what I can provide. God is not. Isaiah reminds us of that. 
He says he gives power to the weak. And those who have no might, he increases strength. Even the youths shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. You want to not lose heart? Know who God is. Put your faith in him. And as you do that, you will constantly be in prayer. And listen, I I had a hard time when I was younger. I always, and it was just a, a thing that was developed in me, not because of somebody or anything, but I always felt like I had to do this when I pray and close my eyes. And so there were times back when I was younger, when I was like 20, 20, 19, 20, um, I was driving and I started to close my eyes when I prayed. And I'm like, wait, I can't do that. Then I'm like, wait, how do I pray? And then I'm like, wait, I don't need to keep my eyes closed. I don't need to bow my head. I don't, I don't need to be in church. I don't need to be with my knees on the floor. Are those bad things? No, like sometimes they're helpful things. Sometimes it's a posture of where our heart's at if I'm on my knees before the Lord. Or if I, you know, close my eyes, maybe it just helps me not be distracted. But you can be praying, even right here, right now, to God. I remember when I was a kid, when I was your age, I worked at a vet. And I walked dogs constantly, had to pick up their poop constantly. And I had nothing to do. We didn't have iPhones. We didn't have, Air, you know, AirPods. I couldn't listen to music. I couldn't do this or that. So I'm literally just walking dogs. I'm like, what else can I do? Like, I can only go so far in my thoughts. So I started praying. I was like, I'll be praying while I'm walking a dog and picking up poop, right? Did I bow my head? Did I close my eyes? No, it's just a constant communication with the Lord. You can do the same thing. And God is looking for that because it's a sign of your trust and knowledge of who God is. It's a sign of your faith. And when Jesus comes back, he wants to find us praying. He says, pray without ceasing, right? Pray without ceasing. Now, again, God He's unsearchable and he's, he's under, he understands our limitations. He knows that, you know, we can only pray so much, right? We fall asleep like the disciples did. I can't pray 24-7, right? But as much as possible that we're, we're in constant connection with God through prayer, and that's what he's looking for. So God is not looking for us to do these crazy, miraculous, faithful, you know, faith, you know, revealing things like walking on water and healing people and, and you know, prophesying out of our butt, but he's like, no, I want you to forgive others, do what you've been called to do, do your duty, right, and pray. That's what I want to find when I come back as a conquering king, right? That's what I want to come back and find. Will he find faith on the earth, and will he find it in you guys? Will he find it in you?